Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our desire at Grace Bible Fellowship is to proclaim the Word of God for the glory of God. At the center of our proclamation is the one who is Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We base who we are and what we do upon the good news of Jesus. If you would like to know more about this good news, or would like to know more about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. That's www.gbfperu.org. I'm glad you've decided to listen to the teaching of the Bible along with us, as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. The book of Acts, chapter 1, first 11 verses. If you're using the Pew Bible this morning, page... 909, 909 in your pew Bible this morning, Acts chapter 1. This morning we are beginning a new study through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts covers 30 years. And if I've done my math right, in a few years, this church will celebrate 30 years, if I'm right. Are there heads nodding out there? Am I right? 30 years soon? I wonder if you've read through the book of Acts before. I wonder if you've seen the things done in the book of Acts. I wonder if you've seen the way that God has worked in the book of Acts. I wonder if you've seen the amazing things done in the book of Acts over this 30-year period. As I thought about 30 years in the book of Acts and This church has been in existence 30 years. And as I think about the next 30 years, my prayer is that we would see God work like He works in the book of Acts. And that we would pray that God would work in this church in the next 30 years the way that He works 
in the book of Acts. Would God teach us through this book? Would he give us a yearning to be the church that he has designed us to be? Would this book even bring us to our knees? Would it open our eyes to the one who gave himself for his church, for this church? Would we allow the book of Acts to speak to us, to get into our hearts, to get into our lives and transform us? So let's read. Would you stand with me as we read the first 11 verses of the book of Acts this morning? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It was a solemn day. Two men traveling together. One man named Elijah. The other man named Elisha. Elijah was the great prophet 
of God, who spoke, who spoke for God, who did great, miraculous things in the name of God. He'd raised a widow's son back to life. He had prayed and fire came down from heaven. He'd prayed during a drought and brought rain from heaven. Elijah's resume as a prophet was no doubt an impressive resume. There was no doubt that he was the prophet of the Almighty God. This particular day, though, was a solemn day because as these two companions traveled together, Elisha was continually reminded during their journey, today your master will be taken away from you. With each passing reminder, you can only imagine Elisha's heart becoming heavier and heavier. And Elijah and Elisha finally came to the edge of the Jordan River. And Elijah rolls up his cloak. And he takes that cloak and he strikes the water with it. And what happens when Elijah strikes the water with his cloak? Immediately the waters spread apart. And a path of dry land is created through the Jordan River. And Elijah and Elisha walk through on dry land to the other side. And they get to the other side of the Jordan. And Elijah says to Elisha, what would you like me to do for you before I go? One last request, Elisha. What is it that you want me to do? And so Elisha asks for a double portion. Not a double portion of money, not a double portion of land, not a double portion of possessions, but instead a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Elijah, let the spirit that's upon you be upon me twice as much. Look at all that you've done. Look at your resume. It's impressive. Give me that times two. Elijah says to Elisha, it's a hard thing for you to ask. But, Elisha, you will be given a double portion of my spirit if you see me go into heaven. And as Elijah and Elisha continued to walk on their journey, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two men. And a whirlwind brought Elijah up into heaven. And Elisha saw it all take place. And he exclaims there, the chariots, the horses. Elijah, I see you going into heaven. Elisha was so overcome by this experience that he tore his clothes in two because he was so overwhelmed by what he had just seen. After he was there and he had torn his clothes in two, there was something of Elijah's that was left behind. Elijah had left his cloak. So Elisha picks up that cloak. He goes back to the Jordan River. And he's there at the banks of the Jordan River looking upon that river 
And he rolls up the cloak. And he strikes the water. And as Elisha strikes the water, he says something. He says this. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And what happens? What happens when he does that? The water splits in two, and Elisha walks through on dry land. It was as if God was saying, I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. Elisha, you are not alone. The same spirit that empowered Elijah will empower you also. Elisha could have been tempted to think, it's all over now. Elijah's gone. All hope is gone. God is not going to do anything again. We will be left to ourselves. Where will we be able to turn to next? But instead of wallowing in despair, Elisha had been prepared to continue in the work of the Spirit. When we come to the book of Acts, we see a similar event. But now there's someone better than Elijah. This is the final prophet. This is God incarnate. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus Christ. This is the one who speaks God's word. He's the final priest who sacrificed himself to bring us to God. He is the final king who rules over all. It's Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead who is about to depart. And he is about to prepare his disciples for his departure. But could we be tempted? Like those disciples could have been tempted? To despair? Christ is leaving us. What are we going to do now? Where are we going to turn? Is God going to be with us? With the ascension of Christ, we could be tempted to think that His work, His ministry are over. But it's not over. In fact, it's just beginning. These are the final words that we have recorded of Jesus Christ here on earth before he is taken up into heaven. And I was thinking this week, well, let me go and let me look for some other last words, some other final words that people have said maybe before they've died. So I was looking through all of these things that people have said or people are supposed to have said, looking for something that was profound, something look, looking for something that was great, uh, even looking for something that maybe was funny. <laughs> but you know what I found as I read through all of those people's final words? That really, they were all pretty pathetic. They didn't have much to say at the end of their life. And I thought about that. Why is that? Why is that? That, that people, when they come to the end of their life, and they, you think they're going to say something profound, 
don't have anything to say at all. I think it's because they, they don't know life. They don't know what it means to live. They don't know the risen Christ. Why are these words so amazing, so profound? Why do these words impact us the way that they do? Because these are the words of the risen Christ coming to us before he ascends into heaven. These aren't the words of someone who is about to die. These are, about, these are the words of someone who is alive and will be alive forevermore. And so we come to the book of Acts And at the very beginning of this book, it's crucial to understand that with the very first verse of this book, that this book is the second volume from an author that we know as Luke. Luke, you know him from that gospel, the gospel according to Luke. Luke was a physician. He was a close companion of the Apostle Paul. He had access to people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, and to what happened during these days. And in fact, in the, his first volume in Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we read this. This is what Luke says in his gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so, we see in Luke's first volume. He was writing to this man named Theophilus. And what do we see here with Luke's second volume? He's writing to the same man. Theophilus was a Gentile, could have been a Gentile of uh, of prestige, prominence, particular status. But we see here that Luke wrote these things to Theophilus so that Theophilus would have certainty about the things that he was being taught, so that he could line up what he was being taught with these accurate, historical, reliable accounts, so that Theophilus could have certainty that what he was being taught about Jesus Christ, about Christianity, about what it means to be a Christian, and the church was true. And notice what it says here at the very beginning. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He references his gospel. He says, everything that Jesus began to do and teach until his ascension. There's an implication here that we must not look over. If that book, the first book, the Gospel of Luke, tells us what Jesus began to do and teach until this time of His ascension, then there must be more. There must be more that Jesus did and taught. And what is astounding to us is that Jesus did more and taught more even 
after his ascension, even after he was physically taken up to heaven, that was not the end of Christ's ministry. That was not the end of Christ's work. No, Christ was continuing to work. Christ was continuing to teach. Christ was continuing to do exactly what he had promised to do. And while we know this book to be called the Acts of the Apostles, it might be more accurate to call it the continuing Acts of the Risen Lord. Luke's account in this book is about what Jesus Christ was continuing to do, how Christ was continuing to act, how he was continuing to teach. And all of this amazingly, even though he was not physically present. If we're going to be able to glean anything useful, anything helpful, anything of real value and meaning from this book, it means that at the very beginning, we have to recognize that this book is all about Jesus Christ. It meets us here at a crossroads this morning. It meets us at a crossroads with how we live and why we live. And it asks us a question in 2018. Do you believe Jesus Christ is still working? Is still active? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is still acting in ministry? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is still building his church? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is an active king? If there is any hesitancy in your minds this morning, any pause, any doubt, questioning or wondering about those questions, is Christ still working? If there is any hesitancy, if there is any doubt, let us be clear about one thing. That hesitancy and that doubt is a fault that does not lie upon the Savior. No, that fault lies squarely upon us. That is why we need the book of Acts. For our Savior to call us back, to remind us that He is working, that He is active, and that we have responsibility to be the church that He wants us to be, to be doing what He wants this church to be doing. And these are the words this morning from these verses that ring in my ears. You will be my witnesses. We are called to be witnesses, literally martyrs. Those who are testifying, we are not our own witnesses. We do not witness how we want to witness, when we want to witness, whether we want to witness or not. No, we are not our own witnesses. We are Christ's witnesses. We witness according to to how He wants us to witness, when He wants us to witness, and wherever He wants us to witness. We must not get stuck this morning and think somehow that this idea of being a witness is, this is only for the apostles. I mean, Jesus Christ said this to the apostles, right? Didn't say this to everybody. No, it's for every single believer in Jesus Christ. 
we are all called to be testifying, to be lights shining in the darkness, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We cannot think that being a witness is, no, that's only for those people who have a special gift. There are certain people out there, God's gifted them in certain ways. Okay, you go ahead, you be a witness. That's for you. That's your calling, but that's not, it's not really for me. That's not who God made me to be. It's not only for those who have been called to go to some foreign mission field. No, it's for all believers, wherever God has specifically placed you. And you are Jesus' witnesses. You are not your own. We don't get to call the shots, but we humbly submit to him. And we might approach this this morning, this idea, I'm to be a witness? We might approach that with some intrepidation. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing because it's then that we're depending upon God and not upon ourselves. If we're going to be the witnesses that Jesus Christ wants us to be, we can't depend upon ourselves. So this morning, I want us to be instructed from Jesus Christ on how we are to be the witnesses that He wants us to be. So number one, we are witnesses powered by the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses powered by the Holy Spirit. As we navigate the terrain of the book of Acts, there will be common themes that continue to run through this book. And one of the major themes of the book of Acts is the role of the Holy Spirit. We will not be able to escape the Holy Spirit. He's everywhere in the book of Acts. We cannot overlook the role that he plays in the church. It's a necessary role. In fact, it's a vital role. And it's a demonstration. A demonstration by God that a new day is dawning. A day that has been promised long ago. A day that was a promise in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That's the hope that was promised in Ezekiel. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. In fact, in our verses that we read this morning, we cannot escape the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's first mentioned there in verse 2. Jesus Christ had given commands to the apostles through who? Through the Holy Spirit. The weight of these commands given from Jesus have the weight of the Holy Spirit behind them so that the apostles will be able to understand what God was requiring of them. And so that the apostles then could fulfill what Jesus had commanded of them. But Jesus also ordered something else. As we go on in this, we get to verse 4 and he says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. 
just as with John, water was used for baptism and people were immersed in the water. So now with this new baptism, it is of the Holy Spirit with which Jesus' followers are immersed. And notice, who does this? Who does the baptizing of the Holy Spirit? We have to, again, listen to Luke, because this is what Luke says in his first book, Luke 3, 16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose, unsa- of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He, that's Jesus Christ, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So it's Jesus Christ who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And this baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were looking forward to, these apostles were looking forward to, was an indication of a transition. A transition from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, now to the New Testament and the New Covenant. The New Covenant age is different because the work and role of the Holy Spirit is different in this age. And Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit would not come until He departed. We have to understand the Holy Spirit didn't dwell in the believers before Jesus Christ's ascension. It wasn't until after Jesus' ascension now that the Holy Spirit indwells all of those who follow Christ. All now who come to Christ are baptized with the Spirit at the moment of conversion. And so this comes with an important question then. How will Christ's followers be able to go on when Christ is physically absent? How will those who put their faith in Christ be able to continue that faith when Jesus Christ ascends into heaven? How will we be able to be witnesses for Jesus Christ if He is not with us and we cannot see Him physically? How does Jesus prepare them for this? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will receive power. Then you will have power to be the witnesses that I want you to be. That's what Jesus Christ says. Then you will have the power to be doing what witnesses do. Then you will have the boldness and the courage to speak and do all that Jesus has commanded us and wants us to do. You think about someone like Peter for a moment and where Peter had come from. Peter, on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, was there around a campfire warming himself and a servant girl comes. And she says of Peter, Peter, you're one of them too, aren't you? You're one of those ones from Galilee. You're the one of the ones who's followed this Jesus who's just been arrested. What does Peter say? Woman, I'm not that man. That's not me. Think about it. Peter couldn't even stand up to a little girl who said, you're a follower of Jesus. And now he's going to have power to speak boldly and stand up and say, no, I am a follower of Jesus. You think if that's 
that's where God brought Peter, brought him from a point where he couldn't even stand up to a servant girl, and now he's going to stand up in the middle of Jerusalem in the next few chapters and give a sermon telling people about Jesus Christ. How is he able to do that? It's because the Holy Spirit is going to empower him. It wasn't because Peter had bettered himself. It wasn't because Peter had educated himself. It wasn't because Peter had grown up. It wasn't because, because Peter had learned some better technique. No, it was because he had received power when the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, there is no reasonable explanation for the kind of power that they have other than to say that that is the power of the Spirit of Christ working in them. That is the power of the Spirit of Christ working through them. That is the power of the Holy Spirit helping them and aiding them and sustaining them in their witness. There is no other explanation for it. And it happened to ordinary people. Ordinary people people of God who relied upon the Spirit of God and preached the Word of God and who saw their Savior work in mighty ways. Who are we dependent upon in our witness of Jesus Christ? Who do you rely upon in your Christian witness Is it your own power? Yourself? How big of a witness can this church be for Jesus Christ? Can it be a bigger witness than we can even imagine? Can Jesus Christ do more than we can ever ask or even think? And by whose power could this even be possible? And so, a question for us this morning. Why are we not a bigger witness than we are? Is it because we've minimized the work of the Spirit? Is it because we have not believed that the Spirit is that powerful? We must be people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, depending upon Him. And that's the power that we receive because now the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, is working through us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came on certain people at certain times for certain occasions. But now, Every believer, every person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit. Is our witness powered by the Holy Spirit? And is this the promise that we depend upon? Number two, we are witnesses propelled to the ends of the earth. We are witnesses propelled to the ends of the earth. After Jesus rose again from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and followers for 40 days. 40 is a significant number in the Bible. 40 days, Moses was on Mount Sinai. 
Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness and was tempted by Satan. And now Jesus uses 40 days after his resurrection, specifically here in these verses, to talk about what? Look what it says there in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and what? And speaking to them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God might not seem like a major theme in the book of Acts, but it is an important theme because Luke does something with the kingdom of God. He, he bookends it in his book. So it's here at the very beginning of his book, the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks to his apostles. And you go to the very end, the very last verse, 28:31. This is what it says. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. With Luke, using the kingdom of God, both at the very beginning and at the very end, it should tell us something. It should tell us that what we see happening in the book of Acts is concerned with the kingdom of God. And that, in fact, we see the kingdom of God spreading and growing and increasing and on the rise. We see that in the book of Acts, that God is fulfilling His kingdom promises. So, We would think, here's Jesus, 40 days, with his disciples, speaking to them about the kingdom of God, 40-day Bible conference on the kingdom of God with the resurrected Lord. You would think, after 40 days, these disciples would be kingdom of God experts. I mean, they would know everything, right? They've been with Jesus 40 days. He's been speaking to them about the kingdom of God. They would know it all. Something surprising happens, doesn't it? In verse 6, we get a glimpse into the disciples' minds in verse 6 that maybe they don't yet understand everything. Why do we say that? Look at verse 6. They asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, behind that are a few thoughts. There's a thought there of a a political restoration. The Romans had overtaken the land of Israel. They were occupied by the Romans. So is now the time, Jesus, that you're going to rise up politically? You're going to establish yourself? You're going to restore this kingdom to Israel? could also be referring to a military campaign. Now is going to be the time when you overthrow these people, you crush them with your military, your army is going to rise up. And what does Jesus do? What, is, what does Jesus say? It's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed. He doesn't say particularly no, but he's saying, you don't understand, that's not what's going to happen right now. I mean, the disciples had this idea that, okay, Jesus Christ, they have this idea that he's going to go away, he's going to be ascended, he's been telling them, them this in the Gospels, he's going to go away, but then you're going to come right away and you're going to, Make everything right? Is that going to be the end of history right now? Jesus tells his disciples, basically, that's not your business. That's God's business. Let God take care of it. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let God handle that. 
But what is your business? What is your business? It's to be my disciples, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The the king is alive, the kingdom of God is here, and it will be advancing through your witness. And Jesus Christ increases their understanding to say that this kingdom of God will grow and will expand through their witness of him. It will not only break geographical barriers, it will break ethnic barriers, it will break cultural barriers. Whatever you think that sets people apart, whatever you think that makes people different, our witness of Jesus Christ and of the gospel is able to overcome all of those bar- barriers so that the very word of God is taking root in the lives of people. And here we see an outline for the book of Acts. We're going to see this from Jerusalem to Judea. That's the region that Jerusalem was in. So Jerusalem is a city. Judea is a region around Jerusalem. So this witness is going to start in a city. It's going to go to a region. And Samaria, a region just north of Judea. To people that Jews normally don't go to, you wouldn't invite a Samaritan into your house for dinner. But yet, this gospel is going to go even to people in Samaria. And even more than that, it's going to go to the end of the earth. God is going to spread and advance His kingdom His spiritual rule and reign over the most unlikely of places and to the most unlikely of people. God's salvation knows no bounds. It's not only for this certain group. No, it's for all people. All people need to hear the gospel call. And we are the witnesses by which Jesus Christ is going to use by the power of the Spirit to herald this call to the ends of the earth. Christ was revolutionizing their understanding of the kingdom of God, saying the kingdom of God is bigger than you think it is. It's going to go to the ends of the earth. (coughs) And so it means that we must be people who are concerned with foreign mission, supporting missionaries who spread the message of this gospel to people who have never been reached, who have never heard, but who need to hear the word of truth so that they believe and are saved. But we also gain this understanding that Christ has put you, you, Christ has put you, propelled you, here. This is where Christ has put you so that you can be a witness. This is your ends of the earth, perhaps. You don't need to go somewhere else to be a witness. You don't need to travel thousands of miles to be a witness. You need to travel across the street. You need to travel to the office or the cubicle next door. You need to travel to the people that God has strategically placed around you. God has put them there so that you can be a witness to them. So that you can share the gospel with them. So that you can tell them the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope of forgiveness of sin. We have the greatest Savior. We have the greatest news. Will we not let these propel us towards others so that they can see and hear and believe? 
Number three, we are witnesses proclaiming the risen Christ. (coughs) We are witnesses proclaiming the risen Christ. There's one crucial quality that sets Christianity apart from many other teachings in this world. For many other people, it does not particularly matter if they have a historical leader. You could still have the teachings of Islam without Muhammad. You could still have the teachings of Buddhism without Buddha. But you cannot have Christianity without a historical Christ. You cannot have the teachings of Christ with no historical Christ because those two things cannot be separated. And I would go even one step further this morning. You cannot have Christianity with a dead historical Christ. We begin the book of Acts not with a dead Jesus who is lying in a tomb. No, we begin with a Jesus who has died but who has been resurrected. We begin with a Savior who is alive. We begin with Jesus who presented himself alive to his disciples after his suffering and death on a cross. And as it says here in verse 3, giving them many proofs, he is alive. He is really alive. They had seen him die. They had seen him breathe his last breath. They had seen the proof that he was dead. The Roman soldiers pierced his side, verifying that he was dead. He had remained in a tomb for three days, lifeless, dead, But up from the grave he arose. Sin could not hold him down. Death could not hold him down. The grave could not overtake this one. Christ is risen from the dead. And the disciples saw him. They touched him. They heard him speak. They saw him do real things that people do, like eat. He is the very reason why the disciples are called to be witnesses. They are to testify to Jesus Christ, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God, that He did in fact die on the cross according to the definite plan of God, but that God raised Him from the dead and now He is alive. There is no other way. There is no other name. There is no one else who can save people other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. We will see over and over in this book people witnessing to Jesus Christ. That is who people need to hear about. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear that Jesus Christ is King. They need to hear that Jesus Christ has been exalted to the right hand of the Father where now He is alive, seated next to God's right hand until all of His enemies are put underneath His feet. They need to hear that call of Jesus. Everyone who repents and believes in Him will find forgiveness of sin and be at peace with God. Dear brother and sister, we cannot get, we must not get off topic. We must spend our days and our time exalting the risen Christ. We must be telling And demonstrating that He is King. That begins with our own lives. It means that there must be no disputing that our allegiance is to King Jesus. 
No one would question it. No one could doubt it. They see it in our actions. They see it in our words. Those two things must go hand in hand. To be a faithful witness, our lives must line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot say one thing and do another. I mean, isn't that the, the criticism that we so often hear from the church? Well, the church is just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And rightfully so if they see no difference in our lives from the world around us. But there should be a difference. And while we do not live it out perfectly, it is our utmost desire that we live our lives like Jesus is king. And not just king over us, but that he is the living king over everyone. And that this living king is calling out to them in love and mercy and grace that they would embrace him, that they would trust him, and that they would live for him. That's the call that's going out today. If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you do not know the risen Savior, if you have not put your faith and trust in him, today is the day. You will not be disappointed. He is the only one who can save you. He is the only one who can forgive you of your sin. He's the only one who can give you eternal life. He is the one who we as Christians should be spreading. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 17. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Could it be said of you this morning... That you are spreading the aroma of Christ and that the knowledge of Him is spreading through you everywhere. Number four, finally this morning, we are witnesses persevering until the promised return. We are witnesses persevering until the promised return. After Christ's final words to his disciples, he does something miraculous. He ascends into heaven. Visibly, physically, goes from the earth into the sky while his disciples watch on. This is the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's a demonstration of his exaltation where he goes to be with God the Father. And it says that a cloud took them out, took him out of the disciples' sight. It reminds us of what was said in Daniel chapter 7. This is what Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Here is now this one going into heaven on the clouds. Reminding us that his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom will not be destroyed. He is the king of glory. The Lord strong and mighty. 
The disciples are watching this miraculous event. And what happens? Two men dressed in white, presumably angels, come to the disciples and they ask them an odd question, don't they? Have you ever thought about their question before? Men of Galilee, why are you looking into heaven? Why do you stand there looking into heaven? Isn't that an odd question? What do you mean? Why am I? Jesus Christ has just risen from the earth and gone into heaven and I can't see him anymore. I mean, this is a miraculous, spectacular thing. Why am I here looking into heaven? Because do you have any idea what I've been watching? But the angels say, they go on to say, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way that you saw him go. And I think there's a point to why they say what they say. And here it is. Jesus Christ will come again. He will return visibly, physically. You will see him come again. But there's work to be done until then. Why are you standing here looking into heaven? Jesus Christ has called you to be his witnesses. Go be his witnesses. Don't stand here. There is hope. He will come again, but be about the business that he has given you to do. Why are you still looking at the sky? There's no moment to waste. There's no moment to lose. Christ will come again, but there will be an interval between his ascension and in his return. And in the meantime, be persevering in what he has called you to do. Namely, be the witnesses that he wants you to be. This is not a sit back and wait till Jesus returns message. No, this is a get busy with the ministry that Christ wants you to be busy with. So that when he returns, you will be found doing what you should be doing. So that you will be found faithful. We are called to persevere in this witnessing. We cannot delay. We must not delay. It cannot be put off. It cannot be procrastinated. There is no better opportune time. The time is now. Christ has given you everything you need to obey. He has given you everything you need to be faithful. Will you be found doing what Christ has called you to do when he returns? These are the last words of Jesus Christ before he ascends into heaven. It's the final preparation of his disciples. The last things that they need to know things that are very important for them. Words that were important for the church in those days and words that are important for this church in this day. Christ calling us to be witnesses is not a nice suggestion or a nice idea. It's an actual imperative. It is a command. If we are to hold on to the name Christian in any real or meaningful sense, then we must be Christ's witnesses. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. We cannot opt out of being a Christian witness. To be a Christian is to be the kind of witness that Jesus wants us to be. And that Jesus Christ himself will use the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work that he wants us to do so that he can continue to be active, even here 
even now. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would use your word this morning in us, these words from the book of Acts, that we might be the witnesses that you want us to be, that we might be those who are testifying to Jesus Christ, testifying to who He is, His identity, what He has done, His mission, and to the call that now goes forth to everyone to repent and believe. Lord, let us not shy away from this. But Lord, may we be overwhelmed by Your glory, that you are a glorious God. May we be overwhelmed by the fact that you are a gracious God. And may we be overwhelmed by the fact that you are a sovereign God and that nothing in our lives happens by accident, but it's all according to your plan. And Lord, there are people around us who need to hear the truth of the gospel. That's not an accident that you've placed them in our lives. Help us, help us to be faithful witnesses to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.